Okay, welcome to this in three podcast on the topic of the future of IPS for toxicity testing. So please welcome my uh, fellow colleagues from the in three consortium on the panel, Leonie Franzen, Vidya Chandrasekharan, Carolina Nunes, Sarah Valens, Cormac Murphy, Evo Didrovsky, Paul Jennings, Lyle Armstrong, and Maxime Collot. So before I give the word to you to introduce yourself, I wanted to quickly introduce the topics. So I think we all agree that for in vitro toxicity testing, we need good human cell culture systems. So about um, a decade or more, a couple of decades, we are already using primary cells or immortalized cell. But 15 years ago, IPS cells were discovered. And now we can actually make cells from different donors, from patients in the lab and differentiate them then to target cells relevant for toxicity testing. So today's topic is to discuss what benefits do these IPS cells bring into toxicity testing, but also which limitations still have to be overcome. So I would like to start with a short round of introductions to briefly say who you are and what IPS model you're working with. And maybe if you like one or two words that come to your mind to the topic of IPS cells. So let's start with Carolina. Hi there. Uh, so I'm uh, working on differentiating human pluripotent stem cells into cells uh, that corresponds to the brain. So uh, we work uh, with a model called brain spheres. And in the end, we end up with neurons, astrocytes, and oligodendrocytes in a super full model that is in 3D. And uh, I, I hope that pluripotent stem cells become a, a big part of toxicity uh, testing. Thank you. Sarah? So, hi. Um, yeah, I've been working on the use of IPSC for uh, blood-brain barrier toxicity testing, so the specialized vessels at the level of the brain capillaries. And so, as Carolina said, she hopes that um, it becomes a, a big part of our future research. I also saw the challenges during the past year. So it's, yeah, it's difficult sometimes, but it's also promising. Thank you. Vidya? Hello. Um, I'm working in uh, developing um, in induced pluripotent stem cells to derive proximal tubular-like cells from uh, the renal part. Um, so... Uh, as you can also see the challenges, we also saw some uh, good advantages over the existing cell lines that's already available. Uh, for example, the IPC-derived uh, proximal tubular cells have a particular marker, the uh, transporter, that is absent in uh, other human uh, existing renal models. So that's, that's a good sign that I, I see that as a good sign and a progressive sign to further improve them to be a better model for nephrotoxicity testing. Thank you, Vidya. Cormac. Hi, I'm also working on making a part of the kidney out of IPS cells. I'm working on making podocytes, which are a specialized cell in the glomerulus of the nephron. Uh, these cells are big, stretchy cells with lots of um, foot processes and finger-like projections. And in uh, an adult podocyte, doesn't really replicate anymore. So IP, the IPS uh, derived podocytes are a good potential source of a lot of podocyte-like cells. I've also recently gotten the opportunity to work on uh, reprogramming cells to make some more IPS cells. So I've gotten to see how all the fun challenges and opportunities you get in uh, that area. Thank you. And then Evo. Hey, everyone. 
my work has been focused on generating an iPSC-derived airway model for toxicology testing. And uh, in the past four years, we have shown that iPSCs indeed hold a huge promise in the field because they offer a large source of material to work with. And uh, this allows to, to answer questions on a personalized level, on a population level. Uh, it, allows, it allows to do experimenting on uh, the exact issue of interest, which is another advantage. And uh, I'm sure they will, together with primary cells, uh, hold a, an important role in the future of toxicology. Thank you, Paul. Cormac and Vidya are working for me, so they already said Okay, said perfect. <laughs> and Lyle? Well, the same, really. Evo's worked for me, so he's basically said that. <laughs> perfect. Everything. I guess Max will say the same then. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say, uh, like my uh, senior colleagues, I'm on the bright side of science where we have dedicated PhD students who go to the lab every weekend to change themselves while we do something else. <laughs> yeah. Okay, perfect. So I, I, I heard a, a bit of a mixture of reactions there. A lot of promise, but also maybe Sarah, she was one of the ones that pointed out some of the challenges. Do you want to comment a bit on the challenges, Sarah? Yeah, I think one of the most important things is the characterization of the models. So the differentiation from IPC to the cells that you're interested in, First of all, there are protocols that have been published, but there is a lot of uh, variety in these different protocols. And then on top of that, they are published for a couple of iPSC cell lines. So if you want to go and use this protocol in your lab, you will have to adapt it a little bit to the specific cell line that you're using. So because of this already, there's a lot of variety in the cells that you finally end up with. So I think characterization of these different models or even starting from the same protocol is very important. Yes, Paul has something to add to that. Yeah, I mean, this, this characterization thing, it's extremely important. And it's probably the reason why we stubbornly use uh, cancer cell lines a lot in in vitro toxicology. So you see cell lines like A549 and uh, HEPG2 and um, even the MCF7 cells, which are all can pretty strong cancerous phenotypes, are used a lot because they've been used by many labs. And I, I wonder, is it because there's a false confidence um, in those cells because they've, they're just so ubiquitous? So it's difficult to uh, you know, propose a new cell, which you, you said, Sarah, has a certain inherent vari variability in, and they're not extensively characterized either because you're only one person uh, developing one, one, uh, one protocol. That's certainly true. I see Max raised his hand first. Yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was to follow up on what Paul just said. I, I also see the fact that uh, once a model is pretty well established and commonly used in a lot of different places, then you have a lot of data set to compare with. Uh, you test another compound in an, a model which has already been largely used. And uh, also in the frame of pharmaceutical screening, uh, the idea is that uh, once they have established and screened already 10,000 of chemicals in one specific assay, they are very reluctant to change for another assay because they would basically lost all this uh, background of information that they can rely on. 
So definitely there is a challenge there and it will be somehow our responsibility to prove them that there is benefit in changing to another model, but we will have to probably provide enough evidence that the model, basically we will have to characterize enough the model uh, so that it becomes definitely something that they will uh, be keen on changing for. Yes, characterization is certainly very important to know the limits of your model and also the benefits of your model. And, and quite often people criticize the maturity of IPS model. Does anyone have an opinion of the maturity in comparison to primary cells or to cancer cells? Yes, Paul. Well, just before we go, go down that road, I, I remember Max and myself were panelists at uh, one of the open uh, talks uh, conferences. And I think the question maybe in vitro developers don't ask themselves enough is what do you want to have in the model and why? And uh, because, if, I mean, yeah, okay, if you want a liver cell, you, you want it really to be, if it's a parasite, you want it to be as, as much in a parasite as possible. But what, what are the key characteristics you would need for the task at hand if it's, for example, checking a compound that has phase one metabolism, um, metabolites that are toxic? So, and do they have the right transporters for that, that, that uh, chemical entity set you're, you're testing for? I think Anna was saying it in one of the other podcasts, the applicability domain. So I'm not sure if we, do we address that enough? So if, we, if we're talking about characterization, I think we should be careful why are you characterizing that? And, and is that important for the application of the medicine? Yeah, I think Carolina would like to add something to this as well. So it's, to continue on this, so there's not a perfect model. We need to understand the model that we have in hand and know which questions the model can answer. And for that, it's not that, okay, I'm developing a model for the brain, but there's other people developing other models for the brain. And maybe we, if I have one question, maybe I don't, I cannot use mine. I'd have to use the, another model developed by someone else. So I think that in the IPSC world, we have to be very aware of what is available for us. We have to be uh, on up to date, updated on the new technique. And I think that for me, one of the most important things is good cell practice. It's making sure that we are working with cells that have quality, that we are sure of what we are using, that is a cell that we are working with a cell that we think we are working, and that we don't have contaminations. And then if we can control that, then we have to worry about which model is the best to use to answer our question. And in terms of maturity, of course, there are limitations, and I cannot expect to have a fully matured neuron within two months. That is the time that I need to differentiate myself. But I can answer some questions more into the development, not into the adult. But we are aware of this, and that's the important part. And then to answer questions about the adult, maybe we need to try other strategies for now. I think you also raised a really important point there is the availability of the model. And especially you working on the brain, but also Sarah and Maxine working on the blood-brain barrier. So there, there's not really any good alternatives for human models here because we can't really harvest primary cells from humans that easily from, from those organs, of course. And then we always have on the animal models. So is that, in your opinion, also a huge advantage for the IPS model here? Carolina, you, you, can, yeah. you can answer. Uh, so I actually had to do a little search 
uh, about primary cells of the ability for the brain. And there, there's some. Uh, I'm, they, they, there's a limitation, of course, because if you take cells from the brain, then you can have a problem. Uh, but there are some, there are very limited, there are some astrocytes, some neurons, but again, it doesn't represent the whole population of the brain. Again, there's limitation. You can, of course, use the cells. Uh, they probably are, they, they, they are not in their normal state anymore. So you always have to consider which type of cells you're using and what, they, what they've been through before arriving to your hand. So again, yeah. uh, good cell practices. <laughs> yeah, Evo. Um, I just wanted to mention one of the challenges I had when I started my PhD is that there were no established protocols to generate an iPSC-derived airway model. And I know this, this might be the case for many other participants from in 3 project. And I noticed that the field was focusing on establishing the pathways important in the differentiation rather than building the model itself and making it as close as possible to, um, to primary cells and established in vitro models. But now that I'm at the end, I have I've worked uh, during this PhD to, to develop this kind of model. Uh, I found that a lot of new methods were were developed and published. So now the field has advanced in the past four years and there's more and more methods available from iPSCs, which can give very similar outputs to primary cells. And now we finally reached a stage where we can start comparing both and see what needs to be improved in the iPSC models to make it as close to in vivo as possible. Knowing that the primary cells that we use are also a bit different to in vivo. So this is just uh, my opinion. Thank you. I have a, a question for Vidya because Vidya also compared primary cells with her iPSC-derived model. Vidya, can you comment on your experience there and how well they performed? Um, yeah, uh, I, I did compare uh, the primary cells uh, with the iPSC-derived proximal tubular-like cells, but uh, in terms of what I need, right, so I didn't uh, extensively compare for all of the transporters and all of the functions and all of the met metabolites, uh, uh, but in, in, instead I focused only on one particular transporter that is specifically expressed in iPSC-derived PTL that is not present in other human uh, proximal tubular models. So in that, in that sense, uh, 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 definitely the IPS uh, for to our surprise worked uh, much better uh, uh, than other existing models and it was uh, very much comparable to primary cells so uh, yeah uh, and also I would like to comment another issue that I, I, I uh, faced uh, it, it, we are talking about characterizing the model the target model but we uh, we forget often to uh, think about the IPC itself. So you need a standard uh, uh, procedure, a standard method to culture your IPC because that uh, um, have a huge influence on your differentiation protocol, for example. Uh, the, maybe the efficiency is getting declined over multiple passages. So you, you, we need that uh, guideline to, uh, to even how to use the IPC itself uh, to begin with. So because we are the, one of the biggest issues that we are facing right now is the variability uh, across 
uh, different laboratories. So I think we need proper guidelines to uh, to start from uh, the IPC. So. Yeah, some good points you raised there as well. I see Max has his hands up as well. To to align with that, the the idea is that that's a famous quote that uh, probably a lot have heard, and which is used in the model in silico model development, which is all models are wrong, some are useful. And this is from the mathematician George Box, and it's well known for for people developing in silico models. And we had a podcast about it. And uh, what people tend to forget is uh, the second part of this uh, famous quote, uh, which is the practical question is then how wrong do they have to be to not be useful the models? And this is basically what uh, the few of you already just described by comparing your IPSC to primary models, which so far is most of the time the closest we have from the in vivo, at least in the case of uh, the PBB, or directly to the in vivo in human situation, uh, then that's what we are doing. We are trying to identify how wrong we are. And if we get to know how wrong we are, then probably we will get to know what we can do and what we cannot do with the model. So in that sense, I think we, and I'm pretty sure we do it right, because uh, what would be wrong would be to not try to really see how uh, wrong we are. As long as we know it, uh, probably then we can use it in a reasonable manner and we know what to expect from these models. Yeah, thank you. So I see there's also one comment or question in the chat now. So one of the advantage of IPSC systems is also that by using different donors, we can test human variability. And are the models there yet, or is the availability between the lab protocols larger than we would expect than the human variability? I guess to re-make the simple a bit the question a bit simpler, do we introduce variation by having variability between our protocols that is greater than we would see in the population? Who wants to comment? Yeah, well, we've done. Uh, so it's Paul here. So we've we've done ex extensive uh, characterization of only small sets of uh, of IPS. So I think the maximum we had in the stem bank project was I think Annie, correct me if I'm wrong. It was about six of, of really extensive characterization amongst uh, different protocols. So we don't know yet. Um, I think is the answer because the protocol development um, takes time. But what we do see in every level we've ever done it, the protocol itself was the most important factor um, and not the donor itself, um, which makes sense because you'd want the kidney cell, you know, to be a kidney cell or a liver cell to be a liver cell. So the expectation is we will be able to, but we can't prove it just yet. Thank you. Anyone else wants to comment on that? Or is there any other questions from the chat audience? In the meantime, let me summarize what we discussed so far. So I think the majority or all of us were saying that we have to really characterize our model and know what it's really good for. And if it has the right characteristics for the question that we are asking, which is really important. And also the quality control of the IPS culture itself that should be very standardized and and that it's really important. And if we if we have that, that we can actually get quite useful uh, information of our IPS cells already, even though there are still some things that have to be overcome. And I want to come 
before I come back to the to the final discussion on the future and when are we there yet, there was one thing that we discussed before that I wanted to ask as well. So there was a lot of question about the money involved here. So everyone is always saying it's so much cheaper, but IPS culture is actually quite expensive. The medium is quite expensive. So does anyone want to, to comment on that? Is it really that easy to continue with IPS culture if you have very limited funding available? And, and what's what's the goal? Well, it's, it's, it's not just the medium. It's all all the so everything that goes into gro growing the cells. So the the frequency of of um, of feeding them, uh, the amount of numbers you need, the uh, the, the labor and intensity of it, um, extracellular matrix, um, the the growth factors. So it, it, it's everything. It, it makes it multitudes more expensive than a, than a different than a, a cell line for. Maxime? I also uh, back up that uh, not only the price, uh, okay, we can adapt with the price, that's not so much an issue, but uh, it's kind of very time consuming and time is mm -hmm. money as well. And probably uh, as soon as we get quite happy with what we got in the end, starting from the kind of raw IPSC, uh, as soon as we are happy with that, I think a lot of us will invest some time and effort in trying to be able to freeze them already differentiated. Because if you reach that step that you can already use differentiated cells out of the iPSC, uh, then this time frame is considerably reduced, and then you can expand to do uh, a lot more with fewer money and in a shorter time frame. So probably in my case, if I keep on differently, I will keep on. Uh, with IPSC, I, I will probably invest a lot of my time as well in trying to speed up the process by freezing the cells at an already differentiated stage so that I just have to uh, defrost them and expand them, if they can be expanded, of course. Yeah, thank you. Sarah? Yeah, it's also about the expense. We have the expense of the IPC models, and we also want to get to more defined protocols. So, meaning more defined, will go for non-animal derived or completely chemically defined alternatives. So, extracellular matrix like matrigel, we would like to aim to change it to something completely chemically defined, which will improve or reduce the variability, but increase the price again. Yeah. So that's also something to keep in mind, that if we want to strive forward, we should make it more defined and less variable, but it might also get more expensive. That's true. Carolina? So uh, a bit on what Mark said about the freezing of the cells already differentiated. So that's what we we went for. So what we do currently in the lab, we do a, a, a middle differentiation first, to neuroprogenitor cells, and then we go forward with the, with the model. And what this gave us was uh, a standardized way of having a starting point, so I don't have to be always going to, during the weekend feeding the cells with IPS that are very demanding. And then I have a, a middle point. I, I made a bank of cells, and I always start from the same passage of cells. So this helps me standardize also my protocol. And... Uh, try to limit the variability between the, the, the assays that I do. So whenever I test a chemical, I always use the same passage. I, use it. I always uh, expose the cell in the same day, and this also helps. So it, it's an easier way. But to arrive to this point, 
you have to have a, a defined protocol first. And then whenever your protocol is working, you can start checking uh, where you can save time and, and money. And of course, all these new mediums that are coming that are getting cheaper. And I think that the more people are using IPSCs, the cheaper things will be. So we will have to work on the labor. So how much time it takes us to produce ourselves. I hope so too that it will become cheaper. Cormac. Sorry about that. Uh, no, I just think it's it's interesting with the points being raised about the getting the, your cells to a certain point and then freezing them and then kind of reducing the labor intensivity of some of the differentiations and some of the things. And I think in in these podcasts we've been talking so much about kind of differences in in between in vitro and in silico scientists, but there's even the differences in just between between ourselves in all of us working with IPS cells, but our differentiations can be so different. I, I am I am relatively lucky compared to some of you guys here. My differentiation is a speedy ten to twelve days, but I know when, I know when I'm finished because my cells no longer divide, which kind of screws me up when I want to do something like freeze them because if I freeze them, I'm only going to go down in number from there. So I kind of have to. Start my differentiation, aiming for what I want to do at the end of it. But um, but no, I so I I think definitely we are kind of optimizing all of our different protocols. But I, I think it'll be a very bespoke solution for different labs as to how they they reduce that uh, effort and uh, money. Yes, thank you, Cormac. I think that will be very useful for some of the listeners who might uh, face some of the same challenges, and that they probably got some useful tips here. So I would like to come to the final question then. So what's your opinion on the future of the IPS? First of all, when is the future? Is it already now or when is it? And what, what do you still missing? What's, what's your next goal? What do you want to improve your models still on? Maybe we can have a short round and let everyone comment on that. Again, who would like to start? Maxime. Yeah, you can define Max, Maxime. You can define uh, future first, maybe. I heard, I, heard, I heard a physicist say, "I'm not to forget who it was," that there is no present. Yeah. <laughs> if there's no present, there's also no future. Yeah, I, I still think there is, there is a present. The present is now, so the future is tomorrow. And based on that, it's short-term future for me. And uh, I, I would rather come up with a question that maybe the panel can try to address. Uh, and this was a, a definitive uh, interesting point of IPSC that we can switch donor and we can have, have multiple donors. But as soon as we change donor and we mention it already, uh, we have to adapt our protocol to the uh, IPSC source. And it's already a demanding work. So if we want to test population, for example, it would basically imply that we would have different donors. But an alternative to that would be to stick to the same donor and then to and to on purpose do mutation in this donor and this way already have some uh, population created by us. So this is uh, where my question stands. Uh, which way would you go? Uh, would you stick to one or two donors and do as many mutations as possible that you would generate yourself in these donors that you master and for which you know your protocol works before you induce a mutation? Or would you try to do as many donors as possible? And that's how to, for me, define what the future will be, depending on how you address the question. So a lot of the ESRs raised their hands there, but just 
<laughs> you, have, you, have, you have to admit that the ESR are going to give a, an answer based on a small academic lab with, with little capacity to, to do things on, on, on a grandiose level that pharmaceutical companies can do with robot, robotif, robotification, is it ro, robot, roboticization? Robots. Using robots. Robotics. Um, uh, uh, because there is very, very fancy cell culture uh, r- robotics that are not even that expensive. It's just a space thing. Um, uh, you know, a, a space uh, requirement, which is a bit of an issue. But okay, let, let's see what the ESRs will say. So, uh, Anya, do you want to take back over? Or? Yeah, I was thinking so. So, Vidya, why don't you want to start? Uh, yeah, first of all, I would I would like to say that um, I mean it's it's less than fifteen years that uh, the IPSC has uh, was discovered, and we have made a lot of progress uh, till date. So uh, I would I would like to think that uh, the future is very near uh, to have a standard protocol, at least for a few of the models that we are currently using. Uh, and to uh, answer Maxime's question on to um, do a genetic uh, studies, um, I would uh, I would first uh, do it based on one model, one cell line, because. Uh, we have a lot of existing data available out there, but we just don't utilize them right now. So uh, IPC would come as a medium between those two as uh, as it was discussed before in the previous podcast. So it will act as a medium between the existing data, the existing in vivo data that, and the existing uh, chemical data. And uh, what we are uh, trying to, uh, uh, what we are understanding right now from the IPC model, the, the deeper mechanism of, of a chemical or, or a genetic disease so uh, I would like to start from one model and then proceed uh, to the to the wider population to understand that. Just to, just to add to that, uh, or maybe to, to say something to what you said, Vidya. Um, yes, IPS are relatively new, but but they they don't stand as a brand new technology because they're based on and, and it's very similar to embryonic stem cell technologies, which has 50, 60 years. Um, um, pedigree, so uh, it's I don't it's it's slightly new, but it's not brand new. I think it's true, but not uh, completely because uh, when you used embryonic stem cell, it was restricted a lot by the usage, and also then people who were working with primary cells who did have good primary cells who didn't really use embryonic stem cells, but now with IPS, it's really more widely used, and you really see a lot more organs. The spread of this, this, the, the, yeah, the uptake is is, is huge. Yeah, yeah that's true. It's a lot more exploding now. So, Carolina, do you want to comment on the on the question? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so, I, I, for me, there's different questions. So, in terms of practically speaking, the mutation option, uh, it would have to be further developed, of course, and the mutations would have to be done very early in the process of developing the line, because then we uh, arrive to the problem that Vidya talked about, that maybe we have uh, different differences in the, in the differentiation if we start from an early passage or a later passage from the IPSC slide. So I would rather go to more donors and establish that they can give rise to the different germ layers and that we have, we can go without problem having different uh, representative, uh, organ representatives from the same donor. But another thing is that we are always talking about that 
using the IPSCs, we can have an idea of the variability within the population. But how different have to be the lines to really see a difference in the behavior? Because in, in our project, we use two different lines. And it, regarding the response to Paraquat, we have uh, a model coming from one of the donors and another model coming from the, the other donor for the brain. And in the end, we don't see much, many differences. So is this, the variability is polymorphisms within the population or mutations that are linked to, I don't know, the metabolism of drugs or to, to a certain disease. So I think we have to define better the question to have an answer to if we go to one side or to the other, as Maxine was uh, saying. Thank you. Cormac. So I just wanted to contribute a bit on the idea of doing the these larger populations or making IPSC or, or differentiating it from larger groups of people. And I'm going to reference kind of the the more uh, the IPS is a more novel thing. I know we've had embryonic stem cells for a lot longer, but in terms of the ability to reprogram these cells into uh, induced pluripotent stem cells is relatively new. But even in this small time that we've had them, I, I first got to work with them in my master's five years ago, and we were reprogramming cells from uh, skin samples that were a punt that required a nurse to punch out some skin samples from some uh, some patients. Uh, and this was, I mean, it was already great, but it was uh, required a medical professional and was required some discomfort on the part of the donor. Uh, and we were already uh, trying new things at that point. Uh, at that, that lab, I had some of my hair is pulled out to make, you have the roots, try and grow keratinocytes for IPSLs. And now we have reached the point where in our lab recently, we've made, uh, we've generated IPS-like cells from uh, shed cells in urine. So the, following a nature protocol, just following a nature protocol, <laughs> we did not make, make it up ourselves, but following a nature protocol. Um, and, and we were able to follow this protocol and relatively, relatively swiftly, we got a, we got the, these cells. So I think our ability, the ability to get cells from these populations is only increasing. And in terms of looking towards the future, I think this is a real, like, the resources that will be available in, in the future will be incredible. Thank you, Cormac. Sarah, you had your hand up before. Did you still want to comment? Oh, maybe, yeah, it's about the genetic modification of the IPC cell lines. Depending on which gene you are targeting, it can still influence your differentiation, even if you're coming from the same IPC cell source. But on the other hand, it also holds great potential because specifically thinking about the blood-brain barrier, there are a lot of transporters there. And um, so if you specifically target a transporter, you can ask yourself the question, okay, in the, in the population, if people have a polymorphism of this transporter, how is this compound being transported possibly to the brain or not? So it, it always also depends on your question and the applicability that you're, or the question that you're aiming to answer. Thank you. And Evo, please go I on. I just wanted to mention something quickly about the future of IPSCs. So I think uh, we'll, we'll still need a few years to establish uh, standardized protocols that will generate the tissue, the perfect tissue that we actually want for the experiments. And uh, this, this will be helped by commercialization of medias and making, making the procedure standardized and repeatable. 
And then the next stage will be automating the procedure and taking off the, the labor part, which is a major challenge of the stem cell culture today. And uh, as time goes by, the methods of, of differentiating iPSCs, generating iPSCs and growing them in general become cheaper and cheaper and more standardized. So I think the future is definitely bright. Yeah, I think just add to that, one of the big hopes is then that you'll be able to um, eventually bring those cells, those different protocols back together, either virtually or, or in, in, a, in an actual uh, a microfluidic system um, that, you, that you can see um, uh, interdependence of, of the cell types from the same individual, which is one of the sort of golden uh, grails of, of, of this kind of technology. Um, but I was actually wondering if uh, Lyle, Lyle has been very quiet listening to us there. Uh, did he have anything to add? About the future of IPSC? Yeah, about the future. Um, well, I think the future is great, as we've, as we've all agreed. Um, as Evo points out, they will become a lot simpler to make uh, as technology advances. Um, they're relatively simple now, having said that. Um, and having made over 3,000 lines, I, I, I can attest to that. Um, but I agree with you, the problems of um, getting a, a differentiation protocol that works first time every time and with every cell line is still a major challenge. And ensuring, of course, that the product that we get is actually what it does, what it says on the tin. Is it actually a mature cell type? So, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. It will keep us all gainfully employed until we retire. So we needn't worry about never having uh, grants to write or things to do in the lab. Um, even, even a young kid like Evo will be, will be going on for the next 40 years in this field. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lal. I think that was quite a, a nice summary to our topic, actually. Uh, <laughs> I guess... We, we can leave it like this. And I won't be doing it in 40 years, I can assure you of that. I would like to thank everyone for contributing and for sharing your opinion. And thank you very much for listening as well.